As a marketer, I don't often get the chance to geek out about brewing. And when I do, there's no one better to do that with than Danny Udendahl. After 21 years with SAB, Danny could no longer withstand the call to do his own thing. So in 2018, Danny started Bearded Brew. In this episode, we talk about his journey and the work that he does in the craft brewing industry. Please welcome Danny Udendahl to the show. My name is Holger Meyer and this is Beer World. Welcome to the show, and today my guest is Dani Urdendal. Welcome to the show, Dani. Thank you very much, Olga. Dani, we met, I think it was 2015, when you invited me on a hop tour, and that was yeah. a wonderful experience. Yeah, that's, yes, that's that many years ago, really. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the hop tour, um, I think that was the second or third one we did yes. already. Um, and basically, the, the idea behind it was, at that stage, um, I was uh, involved with Vese Breweries, and I had this great opportunity to actually see hop farms, the maltings, you know, and see the in-depth stuff. But the most interesting thing is that I think South African beer lovers didn't get to see was actual hop harvest. You see a lot of that on, uh, if you go on YouTube and that, and you see Yakima Valley and that, there's lots of videos about it and everything. But if you physically see be on the field where they're harvesting ops go to the drying sheds or the picking sheds then the drying sheds you know i think that's a very very unique opportunity and the idea for that tour i mean you've you've been on it was essentially that is actually the the reason to actually go and see that and experience a once kind of a once a year experience because that's only in march and it's for like two to three weeks as their harvest time um so you can't see it any um, any other time of the year, and it's a very very narrow window. And we used to plan the actual tour around that, and then you know as add on because we were down there, we went to go visit different breweries. Um, you know, got the opportunity then to sit one on one with the brewmaster of that brewery, get to learn a little bit about him and taste his products or her products, um, and then you know. Uh, I think the first few years we tried to do too many in one day uh, and eventually we settled on three breweries a day. That is a good number to, otherwise you're always late. Uh, you're always more um, over the hill than what you like to be <laughs> at the end of the day. Uh, because then it's still the, you know, the get together afterwards. Uh, Cause you know, a group of brewers all together in a, a, at a hotel or at a big B and B um, at a central venue and stuff. And you kind of, yeah, have some fun uh, discussing the day stuff, uh, and of course, have a lot of beers yeah. uh, as well. So, yeah, I, f- I found that a wonderful experience, and and with with every cent that we had to contribute, are those tours still available? Is ECB stopped them? Um, um, no, no, they're still available to be done. Um, I just haven't done any during COVID. And with this year, when it was started, uh, time to organize whatever the whole Omicron thing comes along uh came along and um at that stage because it's such a huge undertaking to actually you know you you basically looking after 15 20 people uh you know i'm organizing all of that stuff i was just wasn't prepared to take a chance um you know get uh, along so we've already um uh, spoken to to the hop farms and that for next year um, so we will definitely be doing a, a hop farm tour next year, and we'll probably open up um, first come first serve bases 
the entries in probably October. Yeah, and and Danny, I think most importantly, out of this um, this what this these trips, a, a whole community was born um, because you you had this WhatsApp group. Yes. <laughs> Do you have any idea how big that group is now? Um, it's an excess of a um, hundred uh, people at the moment, and a lot of them is really uh, craft brewers and beer enthusiasts. Yeah. So the group originally was okay. This is you know to keep track of what's going on yeah. on tour and to get information out, and it kind of evolved from that into the Hopaholic group, um, which uh, you know now has got all the brewers from the different breweries that we visited over the years are basically on there yeah. and you know some um uh, you know beer lovers and that and it's really an interactive group and as you say that hopaholic uh, notification jumps up on my screen <laughs> it's anya's birthday today so <laughs> yeah um danny so when we met you were still working for sab tell us a little bit about your career at sab um, yeah, so my career at SAB was basically about 20, 21 years. Okay. Um, started out there as a trainee brewery fresh out of university. Uh, did a two-year apprenticeship um, with, with them, um, essentially working every job in, in the brewing, from unloading malt from train trucks to scrapping yeast from fermenters to washing them, to bring on different brewing systems. Um, and then obviously there's a big checkout at the end of that two-year period uh, where, you know, SAB was quite good in their training. You know, you had two years. We had to do uh, training at night during the day. You still had to work shifts. Um, you know, you had to um, act in different positions. So you, under you understood the whole brewery, exactly how it worked um, right up to packaging side. Um, and then, yeah, at the end of two years, they, if they deemed you are capable, uh, they, you get a, um, a kind of a indication, listen, next week should check out and they fly you to another brewery, um, in South Africa, one of the other seven. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you sit there with the, um, uh, training, it's not director, what was he called? The, the training manager, the brewmaster of that brewery. Um, and then normally the head head brewmaster or the um, um, that used to come down and you'd have a full day checkout where they're asking you questions. You do walk around in the plant. You know, what type of pump is this? How does that work? You know, explain to me the, this flow meter. How would you, through the lab, how would you, um, you know, calibrate this machine? Um, here's a fake malt analysis. Tell us what you unloaded. The brewery is waiting brewery is standing do we unload this or is it going to give you problems you know kind of and then you know um uh, you know kind of scenarios you know you've got this type of smell in a beer uh, you and i give you we did tasting as well they would dope some beers you would do tasting and then that'll be part of the question so it was a very very intense day um you know you basically start at seven and end at uh, five six in the afternoon so yeah and, oh, and then, and then and you do it at a, at a different brewery just to yeah. make sure you don't do it with your mentor. yeah because you've had you've had two years of uh, getting to know your brewery so suddenly you're in another brewery technology is slightly different you know um, they want to see are you practical or 
you know, can you actually, if you see a situation, if you see this kind of thing, can you work out, ah, this must be, ah, there's that line going that way. So that's coming from there to here. So this must be a east cropping line. Uh, I can see that because, you know, looking at the, the type of pump, there's a positive displacement pump on here. It's going to that room. Okay, so that must be the east room. All of those kind of things. So, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and then passing out. And then, yeah, then your career actually starts as a, as a, uh, you know, kind of a brewery you might do some team leader stints and then uh, become, a, those days it was brand brewer, technical brewer, and then they work you at different breweries. So you build up experience. Um, and eventually became a brewmaster myself at uh, Polokwane Brewery and at Roslyn Brewery, uh, at Shamdor Brewery. Um, and, th and this is the, this was the beauty of SAB is, um, you would be challenged in, in so many different ways. You know, after being brewmaster, um, you know, one of the jobs I used to do was uh, as a um, new product development brewer, um, I became a consumer scientist uh, for, for SAB, working on new product development, but on, you know, on the organizing and managing of these processes uh, and everything. And then after that, uh, you know, came back out and became a brewing consultant. Um, and then basically after that, uh, ABMBF took over. And then I looked after um, raw material and innovation for into Africa. So, um, so the different breweries into Africa looking at, you know, <clears throat> using different raw materials, specializing in the alternative raw materials like sorghum, uh, cassava, wheat, uh, flour, starch, uh, maize, uh, those kind of things. And developing processes and uh, and things around that, yeah. And that was kind of yeah, the twenty-one years uh, working through through SA breweries. Yeah, so it, it sounds like it's quite a formal structure, um, very much like uh, like the Germans. I had a podcast interview with uh, the Prince Leopold. I mean, his family had been brewing for seven hundred and fifty years, and he said now every craft brewer who's got shorts and a beard is a brewmaster. <laughs> He's obviously trying to promote the, the Bavarian, <laughs> Bavarian so, brewing universities. Yeah, I, I think I think it's you know there's quite a bit. I mean, I, I've got I've got the brewing diploma from IBD behind me. I've I've got the master brewer as well, um, a BJCP, um, and then you know rocks are taste the train. So there's a huge development that goes on for the depth of understanding. Mm. And, you know, I think when you're a master of something, you know, you know, they, they say um, that story about 10,000 hours mm. in a specific thing makes you a master of that, that craft. And even up to today, uh, you, know, the, you know, being involved in the craft industry where I am now, I am still amazed that I am learning um, new techniques and processes. And, you know, I've, I came from a very... Um, commercial kind of environment. Although the last 10 years of that, I was quite involved in the craft industry, um, you know, being also involved with Franson Street and Newland Spring, um, you know, and then also going in the early years the to the festivals and that, bring some beers at uh, at uh, SAB's training institute and a little 500 liter brewery. How SAB allowed me to do those kind of things, <laughs> you know, and how I pushed it in with being a brewmaster and all that stuff, I don't know, but yeah, I managed to get that in. And, you know, 
even now, you know, I get to brew, you know, different types of recipes and uh, work with raw materials in a different way as what my kind of classic or traditional background was um, mm. to, to what I'm doing now. You clearly know your subject and uh, <laughs> you're a master of it. Tani, tell us about uh, what happened when you left SAB, you went out on your own. Yeah, there was there, there came a point about two years in um, with ABM Bef, I decided that um, I, I really want to concentrate on the craft stuff. Mm. You know, you, you're getting older and um, you want to do more stuff that you like um, mm. to do. Um, so at that stage, I thought, you know, I, I see there's a there's a need. I've, I've visited so many breweries and I've seen so many gaps. Um, and, you know, most of the smaller equipment, uh, you know, the big commercial guys have found solutions for problems they have, right? But on a smaller size, there's simple things that a lot of craft brewers can put in place to really change the quality of their product. Um, you know, if you go what we used to do at, um, at SAB from a technical and an analytical point of view, that beer was analyzed to death and understood, you know, electron spin resonance, you name it, HPLCs, gas chromatographs. Um, and then you come to a craft brewery and essentially all they do is pH, hydrometer or refract um, kind of stuff. And you have the slightly bigger ones that can afford it, maybe doing some DOCO2 analysis kind of thing. And that's quite a change if you go from where you've been and, and what you do. And um, and I think there is just in processing, understanding the stuff that you know that we used to focus on for foam um, flavor stability. There's simple stuff that breweries can do to really elevate the quality uh, of their product. The beers might be good, you know. So there's no issues with that. The beer, your craft beer, is bad. Beer is good. But you can take it one step up mm. and another step up, and you can just you know kind of get above the you know the the craft scene and really just put your head above uh, everything else. And that's what it's about. You need you need to give the consumer a reason to actually want to buy your product. Uh, he must always have a great experience with your product. It must be interesting. It must be a great tasting product first of all. Um, and I think that is what. The challenges for the craft brewer is putting out relatively consistent in a sense that craft beer does vary. I mean, the controls is not as precise as a big commercial brewery, but I think that's part of the art um, of a craft brewery is making a beer that is handmade. Um, you know, it's like a commercially made clothes versus handmade clothes. Handmade that clothes, if it's done well, looks fantastic and it's got just a different. Uh, perception about it mm. yeah and have you so have you have you noticed that the quality of the craft beer has improved in south africa i definitely think so um i think if you think probably 10 years ago a lot of the craft scene was kind of emerging um and a lot of those emerging was home brewers mm. you know and they were used to bring with you know this is really before grandfathers mm. and Brusillas and all of these kind of and uh, Braumeisters was really prevalent in uh, in the homebrewing community. Most people had a three tier kind of stainless steel keg or some pots or, or something like that. Um, and 
I think when they went commercial, they tried to use the same technology because it's something that they were familiar with. Yeah. You know, so the layout of scaling up, you know, I can see lots of, you know, kind of the older craft breweries. When I walk in, I can see, yeah, this is a, you know, a home brewer design that scaled up, mm. you know, and it comes with its own challenges. Each system is unique. Um, but I think over the last 10 years, the craft beers have really, really developed. Um, I mean, if you look at uh, hygiene and um, microbial contamination, I really think that is very, very much in control. Um, you know, in the early days, if you didn't have it within four to six weeks, there was a chance that it could be variable. Um, but I think, you know, as the technology and as people's experience have really grown and the the system is becoming more um, uh, kind of growing into a more adult phase, you know, the, um, the quality has really stepped up. Um, and then the equipment has stepped up. If you go into, you know, 10 of the uh, best craft breweries uh, in, in South Africa, the equipment is, you know, top of the range, basically. Mm. Um, you know, the equipment is, you can get very good stuff from Chinese, from China um, or some local mates. Um, and, yeah, the guys are applying, applying the craft very well. Mm. Um, Danny, tell us about some of the projects that you're working on at the moment. Uh, the company that I started was called Bearded Brew, uh, for obvious reason. Um, <laughs> anybody that knows me knows I've had a beard for ever and a day. Uh, it's actually quite unusual when Facebook brings up a very old memory <laughs> and I've got like a small bookie or uh, or something like that. It's like, hey, who's that? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, I've never seen one of those photos. <laughs> Listen, people still send me, hey, look what I found, look what I found. <laughs> I know you about a beard. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and And... My mission was uh, essentially is to help a craft brewer in one of a few ways. One is if you want to start a brewery, help you um, put it in a brewery that's correctly sized for your application. All right. Um, so many breweries I walk in have got either the brew house incorrectly sized and he's got 20 tanks, but he's only using, you know, kind of four to six for the next mm. three to five years. Um, and the, the idea is, Spend the money that needs to be spent on the right equipment. And if you run out of tank space and if you design your cooling and your um, uh, and your brewers correctly, all you have to do is add a tank, add a tank. And if you're out of space, it means you're making money, uh, which means you can then afford to add another tank or two tanks. Instead of spending all that money in the beginning and then having no money left um, you know, to spend on marketing distribution. Because mm. in my opinion, that's probably one of the biggest issues uh, a new craft brewer has is he's coming in, he's spending one and a half, two million rand minimum on a on a you know decently sized brewery um, and to get a certain volume um, that he needs to to run with, and he needs to pay this back. And you can't from day one, you know, pay that money back. You're not going to be running full blast in that brewery. So when I do capacity calcs for for a client. You know, I kind of see where, where does he think in one year, three year, five year. And then I size a brewery, correctly size his tanks and the amount and the equipment that he needs. You know, look by his budget and try and give him the most cost effective solution for what he needs. And then help him install that brewery. Um, uh, and then also a lot of brewers give them the procedures, train train their brewer they're putting in, you know, 
cleaning procedures on CIPs, on tanks, you know, kind of get the microbial standards entrenched, how to make sure your heat exchangers are clean, um, concentrations, types of uh, chemicals. It's really surprising at some of the the breweries because one of the, that's the one thing I do. The other thing is problem solving for a brewery or um, you know kind of help them solve some of these issues. Getting to a brewery and guys are not using the correct concentrations, you know, um, on caustic or on sanitizers, uh, those kind of things. You work it out and you're like, but you are ten times lower than what is required to properly clean this clean the solution and then he's like oh but it works all the time no it doesn't work all the time all right you you can't be marginal and in my um uh, kind of uh suggestion to brewers is cleaning is not where you save money yeah you can save money anywhere else cleaning really really lack of cleaning or incomplete cleaning really affects your brand to the consumer so this is not where you save if you want to save by using a cheaper malt you can process it differently. You can apply some processes and handling to do that. You can go from one type of yeast to another yeast, you know, do some work around that. You can save money um, in there. You know, get your losses better by, you know, setting up your mill correctly. Um, you know, how you lather, how you mash, all of those kind of things. You can save a lot more than saving a little bit on, on cleaning chemicals. Mm. So problem solving is the other thing that I do uh, for, for guys. And then also, guys, it's got equipment, um, or they bought some equipment and like, come and help us. So we don't know what to do. And I help them recommission that equipment and then apply the same standards and those kind of things. And I think lastly is kind of recipe development. Um, and initially, I thought I would do a lot more just on beer uh, and those kind of things. And that has kind of evolved. I'm now into designing, um, you know, kind of RTDs, you know, the alcoholic uh mixes uh, cider uh and that's really grown and it's become a big part or bigger part of my business than i initially thought um mm. because a well-designed beer you know gives you an edge from day one um and i think uh, that is actually very very important i mean you can have a good recipe and everything but if you have an exceptional recipe where the raw materials are balanced uh the hops is put in correctly um, and you know, kind of, uh, kind of molded or become part of the beverage. Um, you get a, a very, very different type of product versus just uh, download a recipe from the internet. There we go. You know, if you understand the raw materials, you're going to get. Um, and I think it's important, especially in South Africa, where raw material supply can be inconsistent. You know, now you're using Vyman, then you're using Chateau, then you're using Crisp. You know, because yeah, the shipments are coming in at different times, um, those kind of things. Um, you know, you need to understand your raw material exactly. What flavors are they giving? What um, aromas are you going to get from it? What's the impact on mouthfeel, body, foam? All of those things. Um, so when I do a recipe design, I generally design it with, you know, what is the main raw materials you get and what's your secondary thing, your secondary raw material. So then I would design a recipe saying, this is your... Um, you know, your main ingredients, these are brand essential. If you can't get them, I don't think you can brew this beer to that standard. Otherwise, these ones, this is the suggested replacements if you need to with these adjustments. So I do what I call a, a, a brand pack. You get uh, basically 
um, like a brand manual. It says, this is how you brew this beer. This is all the brand essentials, ratios, um, the alcohols, all the targets that you need to do, plus your brew sheet that you need to get. And you can take that and I size it for your brewery. I spec it to your losses in that uh, for your system. And then uh, off you go. So that's become a big part of what I'm doing now with a lot of gin and tonic development, um, energy flavors, um, lots of uh, cider, flavored ciders, and those kind of things coming through as well now. And the hard seltzers? Um, I've done some hard seltzers, but I don't, it doesn't seem to be taking off in South Africa. Um, mm. Yeah, big, uh, big time. And, you know, once the commercial guys, the big guys jump in, you know, you got now the flying fish and uh, who's these other guys um, that that's come in there, you know, it, it's a difficult match to actually, um, you know, g- kind of get it right. Um, I think it's, it's a real challenge to flavor a hard seltzer um, because there's almost, there's basically no sugar. That's, that's what it's be of minimal and to get a fruit flavor with no sugar, and a specific acidity to present um, good is really an art. Um, and your flavor house that you work with, you know, some flavor houses really specialize in getting that right. Um, but yeah, at, at this stage, I don't know, hard seltzers don't seem to be flying off the shelves. Mm. The one that I, I've seen quite a few times, obviously, is um, the guys from uh, Brugg's uh, Hard Seltzer um, at the Hogsheads. Um, but yeah, otherwise I don't really see the seltzers around and that's, you know, I think once you become a beer person, I'm, I'm sure you're exactly the same. When you walk into a restaurant, you look around, how many drafts are being drunk? You know, look at if they're serving it in branded glasses, what is the favorite draft? Yeah, you can tell a lot by the clientele by just seeing what what is everyone drinking? You know, uh, is it in bottles? Is it in draft? Is it, yeah, more you know, kind of alcoholic type stuff, you know, brandies and Cokes, uh, those kind of things. So to me, that's one of the first things I do when I get into a, in a bar or a restaurant is look around. What is, what is going on? Um, yeah. No, you, we, we all know you actually go and look how clean the glasses are, Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's become a whole industry on its own now. Huh? <laughs> Donnie is known for <laughs> to, to reprimand, um, publicans about the cleanliness of their glass so what is what is what is a dirty glass to 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 a beer i mean to me if you're gonna pay 45 50 60 rand for a beer all right (laughs) the brewer has done his utmost to give you one of the most enjoyable experiences and then your publican pours it in a dirty glass (laughs) I mean, if you can see the, uh, you know, the kind of lacing marks from the previous glass where the CO2 bubble sticks against, you know, or you can, yeah, I've had glasses where the lipstick is still on, you know, or yeah, just if, if, if it looks like, um, you know, foam should be nice and dense um, and compact at the top. Uh, and it's like big bubbles and it's falling flat and it becomes like a tea already by the time it gets to you. I know, listen, mm. that is, and it's just a pet peeve of mine. And fortunately or unfortunately, um, that's kind of rubbed off in the hopaholic groups. Um, I mean, I've done talks on gl- cleaning glasses and those kind of things. And I think it's, you know, it's kind of catching on now that, uh, yeah. I don't really see dirty glasses that often, mm. but um, you, you would see people 
you know, whenever somebody t- posts a glass, there'll be a comment about, oh, <laughs> I had to make sure the glass was clean, or, oh, check, they served me in a dirty glass, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but I think it's it's important, you know, to wash a glass. If the brewer can wash his fermenter um, and do everything he needs to do, then a, something as simple as washing a, a glass to present a beer to you. I mean, a beer presented in a glass is an experience, yeah. all right? When it comes to you and you can see the bubbles and you can see the foam head, you can see the color, be it brilliant, clear, or slightly cloudy, you know, you, you, you read a lot. You drink of your eyes before you even get it. And if a beer comes to me and I can already see, listen, there's the lace lines from the previous oak, the foam is flat, I immediately don't even want to drink that beer. Yeah. Uh, and, I've, and I've sent beers back. And down in Long Street, one time, I actually washed a glass to prove a point to the publican because he said, my glasses are clean. And then when we poured the two glasses next to each other, and it was day and night difference, uh, I was asked to leave the restaurant. Um, So, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I try not to do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) If you give me a dirty glass... When I walk into a restaurant and I can see dirty glasses, you know, as it comes from the thing, then I just turn around and I walk out. I'm not going to spend my money with you. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think we're all building, uh, getting a bit of a reputation. And in, in with if it's if not, then it's just with our families. Uh, we all have to do the little walk of inspection. Yeah. Look, look at the taps before we yeah. sit down. <laughs> Listen, and I've had it here by me. You know, it's like, how the hell did that get past my <laughs> glass washes and stuff? It's like, border and I'm by myself, definitely not posting this on our party yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so it does happen. But, I mean, if that's kind of – it tells me a lot about the uh, the kind of condition or the outlet itself. Mm. Um, and I think – it's not something to be ashamed about that, you know, insisting on a clean glass. Mm. I've sent beers back and then, you know, um, then I watch them because then they do all kind of tricks and, and things. Um, I think we are evolving, you know, gone are the days where the pub, you know, you drink a beer in a sour and you say, listen, and then they say to you, oh, that's what craft beer tastes like. Mm. No, those days are gone and past. As mm-hmm. we are, you know, maturing, you know, we are becoming more discerning for the amount of money we're giving you. We want a great product in a clean glass, you know, served properly to us. Yeah. Danny, you, you're working on the Yeti project. What is that? Um, the Yeti project, you know, you, you don't always get a chance to um, really explore kind of alternative raw materials in a commercial product. So most breweries... You know, if you launch a new product, there is a certain amount of marketing and, you know, you've got to push it out there. So uh, what we've decided, myself and Gavin Murray from OC Brewery, we we both, you know, we, we were discussing and it was during lockdown when we basically had nothing to do. And we sat at the brewery. I was installing or recommissioning a packaging line um, for him in that uh, dead time. And we were talking about, you know, we would love to do kind of once-off beers, those kind of things. Yeah, it's, it's something that is quite prevalent in the Western Cape. If you look mm. at, uh, you know, ACB and Eiger, uh, Eiger Brewery and that, they produce awesome beers. And people are, you know, they're known for, for that beer. And people go drink it at the brewery or at um, Roy's Restaurant um, and they enjoy it and they go there because you know there's going to be something unique mm. on on that 
on to offer. And here in Khatang, we just felt, listen, we want to create that kind of environment and allow us to really experiment with um, new technologies, new processing uh, ways, and raw materials. I mean, we've imported raw materials and that, that you wouldn't be able to get here. And basically what it comes down to is um, we've, we've kind of launched a brand called the Yeti, the Yeti Project or the Yeti Underground Movement, um, YUM as it's called. Uh, we just It's become Yeti because a Yeti is something you don't see often and you see it a fleeting moment, then it's gone. And that's, that's the idea behind this product. You're going to see something awesome, you know, I hope it's something awesome that you will enjoy. You have a few of them. There's only... We only produce a thousand liters of it, and it's kind of every kind of six odd weeks in that direction. Um, that will make a thousand liters. There's limited outlet. The brewery does the the launch, and the idea be- behind the Yeti is that we won't tell anyone what it is. If you want to know what it is, get on the Yeti group. Uh, the Yeti group gets date and time um, of the launch. Does it? Nobody knows what it is. We'll do some sneak pictures and things like that but nothing it gives away what it is um and then you get to the brewery and then you do we do the launch day with you we have beers with you um and then a week later what's left goes out to a selected outlets and essentially like capital craft um um Impetoria, uh, lucas in santon um uh, uh brian from um radical uh, tops uh they'll get some cans or some kegs and basically just kind of finish up what it is. But the ideas that we want to eventually get to is that we sell as much as possible at the brewery and people get to taste something that is quite unique. Um, so we've really, you know, gone out to import raw materials. I mean, hops, you know, use seven, 8,000 rands hops on a, um, you know, on a thousand liter batch. You know, those kind of things, bringing in, uh, specific raw materials uh, using uh, we did a, a reverse mashing uh, using enzymes and that you know mashing in at 85 degrees Celsius and then cooling it down right to 65 with different enzymes to do our our brute style um, and then using um, uh, 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 strata and um, uh, the um, uh, Ida uh, 7. You know, so Strata, as far as I know, has never been used in South Africa. And it gives a very unique character without it being an American IPA type, type thing. Um, so a lot of our beers, we don't like to call it the style because the purists will go, oh, but it's a little bit. No, the idea is we brew it in that kind of direction and we bring in other raw materials and that, you know, to challenge yeah, the flavors and the aromas um, that you get from it. Uh, we work quite closely with Liquid Culture um, on this, um, and uh, as well as uh, the guys from uh, Cactus Cross Crisp. Uh, they bring in quite a bit of raw materials for us, as well as um, you have, uh, Liquid Culture will do specific yeast strains um, that, that we um, use in the beers. So it's not just on hops if we if the beer is hop forward type thing it's about grains it's about the heat strains it's about the processing uh right now we're actually building a piece of equipment for the next project that is 
basically, I'm going to be signing it off now in the next couple of days. Um, that we're going to change the way that we do specific type of style. Uh, so the next beer launch is going to use this piece of equipment as part of the um, yeah, as part of the, the design um, in it. So it's a whole thing. So each beer kind of focuses on one specific uh, direction. I mean, we've just done the Nitro Leprechaun, um, which is essentially an Irish red ale, but um, you know, kind of based on a Kilkenny kind of uh, idea, but using aromatic uh, English hops, uh, Fuggles, uh, East Kent Goldings, and really pushing the aroma. But because um, this is a, a nitro, a nitrogenated beer, whenever you put nitro on beer, you know, it drops the aroma and that, uh, as well as the bitterness. So we brought up the bitterness to give you a little bit of a bite, bring in the aroma, and then we played around with the nitrogenation, how we did it. Um, so at the end of the day, we got nitro in a can without using liquid nitro doses, without using widgets, uh, um, everything. You take that thing on from the keg, it is cream that comes uh, that comes out there. Fantastic, fantastic beer. And it's around that uh, process of how do we nitrogenate and how can we apply that? You know, obviously, I can the stuff that I learned from it, I apply to my my brews. And my developments that I do, my developments, you know, and the same with Gavin, you know, some of the stuff that he's learned there, he's applying to some of his brands and that idea of stepping up, mm. doing that that next thing. Um, so, yeah. That's a wonderful project. So the big question is, how do you get onto that Yeti group? Um, so I've got a, a, a QR code. Uh, anyone is welcome um, yeah, to send me a, a, a WhatsApp or whatever. I can uh, add you manually or I've got a QR code. Um, it's not a, you know, a, a advertising group or anything. Yeah. We open it up a week beforehand. Then people can comment and we can, uh, you know, build some, you know, some, some excitement. And then a week afterwards, we kind of close the group again. Okay. Um, and the idea is it's information. We, we put post pictures every now and then. So you've got an idea of what's going on. Um, and, and that's a at Capital Craft. Uh, we generally have our banner there with the QR code that we, you know, you can uh, scan uh, and get onto. Okay. Um, but it's not something we want to blast everywhere. Mm. If you're on a group, it's because you want to know about beer. Yeah. Okay, Danny, that's that's a wonderful initiative and a very exciting project. So when is the, when is the launch of the next beer? Well, right now we've been hit by a. Um, some delays in uh, transport that seems to be hitting everyone. So we're waiting for some raw materials. It has finally arrived uh, in Cape Town. So probably in the next uh, four weeks, um, we'll, we, we'll have something in there. So we've a bit ex extended this time. It's probably seven and a half weeks since our last launch. Um, but uh, it, was, it's impo it was important for us because of this raw material that we brought in um, that we wait for it um, to actually to actually do it. Mm. Okay, Danny, and the best place to g get in touch with you is that on your website. Yeah, you can go onto my website. Um, send me a, a message from there. No problem. Uh, it comes through to my email. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for for your what you do in the industry and for uplifting the whole quality, especially the quality side of the of the craft brewing industry. We really appreciate that. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to our stories here online. 
In the show notes, you will also find a link where you can subscribe to become part of our community and be notified when we upload our latest content.